How many of you are familiar with the name Jean-Léon Foucault? Foucault. Oh, Mouse has got a little bit. Steve's hand, only one up. I I thought one of you at least was coming up with this one. Okay, how many have heard of the Foucault Pendulum? Now you know who I'm talking about, see? For those who don't know about it, Foucault designed this a, a type of pendulum in this particular type in back in 1851. And he did it to prove to prove visually that the earth actually rotates. I remember back when I was in elementary school, we had took a field trip to the San Diego Natural History Museum. It's, it's, it's affectionately known to San Diegans as the Nat. Well, of all the things in that entire museum, anybody that's ever been to a natural history museum, it doesn't have to be San Diego. Of all the things that stuck in my mind to this day was the Foucault pendulum. You know, you had all the dinosaurs and all these other things. I didn't remember anything about those, but I remember the pendulum. And as most of you know by now, I always, until fairly recently, hated history. Probably the reason I don't remember the other things in the museum. But this pendulum was a fascinating thing for me. And I remember to this day, I can still see it swinging, and I haven't been to the museum and seen the pendulum since I was in elementary school. But it's in my brain. I can see that thing swinging. But I remember it as if it were today. Now, close up, it almost looks like it's just kind of frozen in time. There's this big steel ball that swings back and forth right in front of you. And where I say it seems to be frozen in time, if you go on the other side where it's going this way, it doesn't look like it's doing anything because it's this fluid motion back and forth. But from then from a distance... It's still got this fluid motion that you see making. There's no jerking. There's no stopping. It just keeps going back and forth. It's, it's something, as I said, that stuck out in my mind. It's not, like no other piece of art in the entire museum for me. And it didn't move backwards and forwards, side to side. It just went the same direction repeatedly. It was almost like it was searching for a spot to become balanced and finally stop. But it didn't stop. It just kept moving back and forth. So last week's parasha was called Kedashim. And God clearly declares in Leviticus 19.2, You shall be Kedashim, holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Now we think of the word holy sometimes and we usually understand it to mean set apart. To be set apart in a distinct, even sacred, or better word, unique way. So we can say that God is set apart, that he is holy or kadosh, or as one rabbi puts it, incomparable. That's a pretty good way to describe 
Kedeshim. Just like God, we're incomparable. In the Sifra, which if, I, I'm sure Mouse and Mike know what that is, but it, it's a homiletical midrash on the book of Leviticus. And it says, just like we read this morning, Kedeshim Tehiyu, but it also says, Perashim Tehiyu, which means you shall be holy, you shall be separate. Does that sound repetitive? Well, it could seem repetitive, but it makes a point. Because what the rabbis mean when they say, you shall be separate, it doesn't imply that you're different or better, but it means you're unique. We are one of a kind. Each and every one of us is one of a kind in God's eyes. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 through 16 says, Just like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in everything you do. For it is written, and he quotes, Kedeshim, you shall be holy, for I am Kadosh, I am holy. So just like Yeshua's early followers, we've been called to be holy. In everything we say and in everything we do, the same way that God, the one who called us, is holy. Now I was thinking about this just this morning, as a matter of fact. If somebody were to ask you, or better yet, those who are married, ask your spouse, are you that way that we see you now here in, around us at home when we're not around? Are you the same person when there's nobody else around. Because that's what it means to be unique, is you have a certain way that you act, certain way things you say, that don't change. You're constant. You're the same. I'm going to take a risk for them for just a moment. Batya, because I know she will be brutally honest. Is there anything different about me when I'm not here at a dot that people see and hear of me here is there anything different about me when we're not here? Yes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. I'm more relaxed. Okay, I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> I told you I was going to take a risk. But that's the way it should be with all of us. You know, God doesn't change when we're not with him. Wait a minute. Um... Because we're always with him, aren't we? But he doesn't change. And if we're, he says, you're supposed to be holy, just like I am holy, that means we shouldn't change. What you see is what you get. What you hear is what you get. I am who I am, whether I'm here or I'm at home. Just bought you and I. Maybe dressed a little differently, and we won't even go into that. Yeah, more relaxed, exactly. <laughs> You know, I don't wear my, I don't wear a tie around the house, usually. I will wear my boots around the house occasionally. But I'm the same no matter where I am. Just like God is the same. And He's called us to do that. To be like Him in that respect. See, our parasha tells us that when we offer a sacrifice to the Lord, it's to be offered in such a way that it's acceptable. What sacrifice are we supposed to be offering today? 
Well, yeah, the, there's the pushka back there, and we're thankful for those of you who contribute financially. But thank you. Hebrews 13, 15 through 16 says, Through Yeshua, then, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of lips, giving thanks to his name. Do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. You know what? I want God to be pleased with me in what I'm doing and what I'm saying. How do I do that? With my lips, with my praises before him. And he also tells us to love our neighbors as ourselves. I've said this before many times, even before I came to a dot. I can't love anyone else if I don't love me, because it would not be authentic. I have to love me, because if I'm supposed to love my neighbor the way I love myself, I better love myself. If I don't love myself, I can't show any other, any other person any kind of love, nothing that's sincere. But if we do that, we actually honor many of God's commandments. And that's what Yeshua was talking about in Matthew 22 and verse 36, where they came to him and said, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the Torah? And we know what he said. He said, You shall love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But he didn't stop there, did he? He said, And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The entire Torah and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So if we accomplish those two commandments, if we love the Lord our God with all of our being, and we love one another the same way we love ourselves, that means that God is pleased. I said, how do we please God? That's the way you please God. Yeshua equated loving God with loving God one another. And we look we can look at it like this. Loving our neighbors or our friends or our family brings godliness into the world. Because we're doing what Yeshua said, we're accomplishing the commandments of God, so we bring godliness into the world by our love for one another. There's a midrash that illustrates this principle. The original Midrash is fairly lengthy, and there's at least two sources which vary a little bit, but the essence is the same. Uh, the point is made, but I found an abbreviated version. You're welcome. It's called A Tale of Two Friends. Some may have heard it. Some may have heard one of the versions of it. There were once two friends who friendship, whose friendship was profound. Because of wars and various intrigues, the friends were separated for many years. Finally, one heard that his friend was where his friend was, so he traveled to visit him. Unfortunately, the countries where the two lived were at war with one another. Rumors began to spread regarding the mission of the stranger who had come to visit. Soon he was arrested and charged with espionage. He's going to visit his lifelong friend but he's arrested for espionage. He was found guilty and sentenced to death by the king himself. The man pleaded with the king to grant him one last wish. 
The king asked, what is your wish? The man answered that he was a prominent businessman in his home country. And being well known, he often did business on credit by a handshake. The plain truth was that though he accumulated a small fortune, most of his money was lent out to people without contracts. He asked the king to allow him one last trip home to put his affairs in order and say goodbye to his family. If not, the king was not merely sentencing him to death, but also his children to a life of poverty. I want to welcome our special guest. (laughs) The king was incredulous. How am I to believe that you will return? How can you possibly give me, what you could possibly give me as collateral? The man responded that he had a good friend in that city and that he was sure that the man would be willing to take his place on death row until he returned. The friend was brought in. The king asked him, would you take your friend's place? You understand that if he doesn't return, it is your head that will roll. The man agreed. After all, he said, what are friends for? Our other special guest is in the back. The king was intrigued to see if the man would truly return, so he allowed him to leave, knowing that the execution would take place in 30 days. The appointed time came, but the man had not returned. So the king instructed his guards to take out the friend and decapitate him. They brought the man out, put his head on the block, and as the knife was about to come down, a murmur could be heard from the crowd. The executioner was told to wait. Lo and behold, the man had returned. He walked bravely up to the executioner and grabbed the sword. And he said, I am here and prepared to meet my fate. You think that was the end of it? No. The friend then stood up, grabbed the sword as well and said, you're late. The deal was for you to be back by this morning. Since you didn't arrive this morning, I'm the one that is going to be killed. The friend responded, but it's I whom they accuse of treachery. It is I who was sentenced to death. The king observed this argument, and he summoned both of them. He said, neither of you will be killed on one condition. They both looked at the king and asked, what is the condition? The king's answer was, that I become your third friend. He recognized this friendship was so deep that both were willing to die for the other. The king wanted a part of that. Australian-born Israeli philosopher Martin Buber once said that God is the absolute authority over the world because God is separate from it and transcends it. But God is not withdrawn from it. I said before, I said, Wherever I am, I can't, I mean, God's there, right? So he's not changing in my life. He's not changing in your life because he's always the same, because he's always there. So even though he's apart from the earth, he's still a part of the earth. If we follow that line of reasoning, if we imitate God in his holiness, we don't withdraw ourselves from the world. But instead, we we should be reflecting a positive influence on the world, on everyone around us. 
through every aspect of a holy and sanctified lifestyle. Again, I'm the same here as I am at home. And that's what people should see in me. My neighbors should see the same person that you see. And if they don't, something's wrong here or something's wrong there. No, something's wrong here. So we have to be the same, just like God is the same. We have to be set apart. We have to be holy. We have to be, as I said before, unique. Much like that swinging pendulum that goes one side to other, never stopping to rest, we need to not just become parashim tihiyu, separate, but we must become unique. We have to be unique because God's unique. Why do I say unique? Because we're supposed to be holy just like God's holy. That's what makes us unique. That's what makes us different than the rest of the world. So just like God is unique, God is holy, we are a very unique people. We're God's people. That's what makes us so unique. We're unique because of a powerful tradition and command that should never be associated with terms like frozen or stagnant or stale. We should always be fresh. We should always be moving and we should be fluid. We need to strive for the holiness that we've been called to. Continually moving in that holiness. Continually growing in that holiness. Continuing to love one another. Growing in that love for one another. No matter how unlovable somebody might seem or might be. We need to go above that. I don't know about you. I've had people that I've met in my life. Some of them may be here. I don't know. I know you and those I'm talking about would know if they're here today. But some people just don't warm up to others readily. They're a little standoffish even. There are some people that don't like physical touching. They don't like to be hugged. And you know who I'm talking about. My dad was that way. My dad was not a hugger. My mom, those of you that knew my mom, you know my mom was the ultimate quintessential hugger. Where do you think I got it from? Okay? Because I didn't get it from my dad. And it was a long time before my dad would actually warm up to being hugged by his children. But then the day came when this man who wasn't a hugger, he was not very physically affectionate, met a certain young lady who all of you know very well, my wife bought you, and she just walked right up and she hugged him. Got to the point where when we would leave from a visit, one day, she still doesn't know why she, what she was thinking that day, she was just getting ready to get in the car. And much like the blind side, whoever has seen that movie knows the scene, my dad said, where's my hug? Not talking to me, 
talking to Batya. He became accustomed. He became indoctrinated now into this show of affection, which he did not experience in his youth, in his earlier years. So he was unaccustomed to it as an adult. But he became accustomed to it very well in his later years because someone was persistent. And at one time that she walked onto the car, it may have been that we might have been having a, a moment, I don't know, but he had, where's my hug? So we should always be growing. We should always be fluid. We should always be moving higher and higher, just like that pendulum. Because we, just like that pendulum, doesn't stop. We can't stop. We have to be constant. We have to keep moving. We have to keep going. Because if we let it, let that, if we let our lives stop, just like if that pendulum stopped, our lives, our traditions, our testimonies would also stop. Because it would be as if it didn't exist. We don't want it to stop. We want it to keep moving. I don't know if anybody watched the pendulum in the museum, but it was really fascinating when you see that thing going back and forth. How, how is it? It hasn't changed its motion, but it keeps knocking the pegs down, one after another, which, of course, illustrated his theory that the earth did rotate, which we know it does. The Yakult Ma'am Loez, which is a commentary written for the benefit of Sephardic Jews in Turkey because they were not fluent in Hebrew. And so it tells this, uses this story of the two friends to teach the meaning of that verse, love your neighbor as yourself. I am God. It says that the profound message of the story is that if man would truly and wholeheartedly love his neighbor, God promises to love both men and be our constant partner. He wants to be our third friend. Of course, we know God should come first, but you get the point from that story. God is that king. God becomes that third friend between two people. And based on what Yeshua said, the commandments between are between man and his fellow man, but they also include God. So when we show love for our fellow man... We allow the Shekhinah, the divine presence of God, to come into our presence. And when we show hatred to our fellow men, we tend to drive the Shekhinah out of our presence because he does not dwell in hatred. He dwells in love. So the holiness of God is reflected in the holiness of man. Because if we are standing here being holy like God, we should be reflecting his love. We should be reflecting his holiness. We should be drawing people to us, not pushing them away. God's uniqueness then becomes manifested in the uniqueness of us, his created beings. To be holy is to be separate, to be unique. Everyone, though, needs to find that unique divine nature that lives within themselves and within their fellow man. Because you come to the point where you love yourself, but there's some things about the other person, again, you might not be so happy with, but you need to love them anyway. 
You need to find some common ground that you can appreciate, and eventually those uncommon grounds will vanish once you show love for one another. And that is what will display our uniqueness, our separateness. But it also shows our unity with one another and with God. Now, I know we don't follow Jewish mysticism, okay? But there's a quote from the Zohar that I think is appropriate for this discussion. That quote is, the Jewish people and God are one. And I would agree with that. They may not be walking with him at this moment, at this time, but guess what? God created the Jewish people, set them apart as his chosen people. So his people and he are one. Remember what Yeshua had said about the sins that we commit in our minds and in our hearts. They're just as bad as the ones we commit in the flesh. Think about it. We read it this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Actually, that would have been last week. Don't be deceived. The sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, those who practice homosexuality, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. But whoever turns from those ways and turns their loyalties and obedience to Yeshua the Messiah... They're going to be cleansed. They're going to be sanctified. They're going to be justified in God's eyes. So we have to always remember one thing. Our actions, whether they be good or bad, especially bad, have consequences. What we do will have consequences. And some of those consequences can be very severe. So we should never take what the Lord has commanded Lightly. God said it, I believe it, so it's settled. When God said it, I just need to do it. Let's face it. He is the one who gave us the very breath we breathe. Okay? There's no doubt about it. We wouldn't be here today had he not breathed his ruach, his spirit, his life his breath into us. And that's what lets us know that we are alive because we can breathe. But he's calling us to do his will. So we should take it very seriously that he set us apart to do his work and be obedient to his word, to be unique unto him and before others. Who could ever be more worthy of our obedience and our confidence than the God who created us? A lot of times we try to please people, whether it be parents, teachers, friends, other family members. It's not about pleasing the people. It's about being pleasing to God and doing His will. It should be our prayer each and every day to ask the Lord to give us strength, to help us to resolve to reject the things that displease him. And the strength 
to also focus on the things that will bring him glory. That's ultimately what it's all about. Not about me making my wife happy. Not about me making the elders happy. Not about me making any of you happy. It's about making him pleased in what I'm doing. Then all that happiness is automatic. If we do what he pleases, what pleases him now in this life, then we will be able to hear those words that we read about in Matthew 25, 23. Anybody got it? Well done, good and faithful servant. That's our ultimate goal. We want to hear those words, but if we're going to hear those words, it's because we did what he said to do. If we don't do what he said to do, we're not going to hear those words. Consequences for actions, but also rewards abundantly if we do what he says. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we do thank and bless you because it is you who gave us life. And you gave us life eternal through Yeshua, our Messiah. We bless you because it's through you that we have that life in a unique way, in a way that nobody else can understand except they come to you. Let us be beacons of light. Let us be so unique that people come to us and ask us, what makes you so different? I can't figure it out. And then we can say, let me tell you why I'm different. Let us show our love for one another. Let us show your love for others. That through us, they will be drawn. And they will come to become your children as well. And that they would then share that love with others that they come into contact with. And let it, as the, as the commercial said years ago, we tell two friends and they'll two friends and so on and so on and so on. Letting your word be spread throughout the world. Thank you, Lord, for this Shabbat. We thank you for this time, this season that we're in as we count down to Shavuot or count up to Shavuot. Whichever way we look at it, Lord, we're moving toward your next appointed time. Thank you, Lord, for Yeshua and all he's done for us and all he will do through us by way of the Ruach HaKodesh. In Yeshua's name, amen.